Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders and entrepreneurs who are leading the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before introducing today's guests, and yes, we have two guests on today as a, as a first for the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, which is at Health Tech Hour, and also follow UK Health Radio, which is at UK Health Radio, to stay on top of all of the great shows that are coming up. So, as I said, today is a first. We've got two guests. We're going to see how it goes. I don't know. It could be a bit bumpy, but I'm sure it will be good. Our pre-production call went well, so I'm sure it will go well on the day. Uh, so my first guest, Jenny Thomas, is fair to say has spent her entire career dedicated to improving the delivery of health services wherever she goes. Firstly, as head of women's health at a major London hospital, and for the last few years as the director of DigitalHealth.London, which has helped hundreds of startups enter the NHS and improve care in a number of areas. It's helped push the agenda of digital health within the NHS, and it supports NHS staff to deliver improvements with inside the system, from within the system. Oh, and um, yeah, somewhere in all of that, we managed to get a master's and an MBA. Um, so yeah, quite busy period of time. Um, one of Jenny's passions is as an advocate of women's healthcare and femtech, which brings me quite nicely onto my second guest, which is Medulla Poor, who as CEO and co-founder of Pepe, is helping employees access support for life issues that are not normally covered by workplace healthcare, such as fertility, menopause, and parenthood. Um, Medulla started Pepe to give people greater and more equal access to support. And it is this passion for health equality from both Jenny and Pepe that has been encapsulated in Pepe's campaign, which we're going to talk about, which launched this week called Black Mums Matter 2, which is aiming to address the huge disparities in health outcomes for black women pre and postnatal compared to white women. So um, normally, guys, the show is in three parts. So we do a kind of an origins bit. Then we go into how you guys are changing the world. And then we sort of end with the future and what other things might be kind of on the agenda today. So we will try and see how that goes with two and just, you know, we'll see how it goes. So Jenny, starting with you, how's it going? How's lockdown? Yeah, it's great. Um, well, <laughs> great. Um, it's uh, busy. It's busy, uh, particularly the last few weeks because I've, uh, I've got two little kids, both uh, nursery age kids, and they were at home uh, post-Christmas. They actually went back to nursery yesterday Um much to our relief and their joy. Uh, yeah. So yes, it's it's a busy time, but I like everyone, you know, it's 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 tough. But yeah. um, I think knowing that everyone's in the same boat um, helps a lot, and I think that kind of solidarity is uh, you know is key, isn't it? And in yeah. terms of digital health, I guess that's been um, one uh, you know one of the the positives that um, you've got to find the positives in these tough times, and I, and I definitely think kind of. 
I returned from maternity leave after the first wave in September and just kind of seeing that the step change in in digital health um, in the UK has been a, a great thing, a great thing to see. Yeah, so I think we can get into that because there's been, I mean, we, we, one of our advisors is a primary a GP within primary care and his, his view is that there's been more innovation within primary care in the last, you know, 12 months than there has been in 12 years, give, give or take. So, um, to, but you, Jenny, you actually started, you, you went into the NHS on leaving university. Is that right? You went onto their grad scheme. So you made a pretty early call to that that was the path. So what, what was, did you know at that point or was it kind of a gamble or what, what was the motivation there? Well, um, so after university, I had not one but three gap years. Um, so I had a lot of time to think <laughs> about what, what I wanted right. to do. Um, and yeah, my degree had a kind of aspect of healthcare to it. So, and my family are quite medical as well. Um, and I was looking at different graduate schemes and the NHS graduate scheme is it's fantastic. You, um, you really get to learn about all aspects um, of, of the health service in your first two months, kind of shadowing everyone from porters to surgeons to people right. in the Department of Health. You know, you're on an ambulance. So um, are you like on the front lines? Yeah, so yeah, you really, you're not, really it's get not just great. Desk, it's not just desks. No, not learning. at all. Well, no. the first two months you shadow everyone and then you have a number of different roles in the health service and um, you really get... Um, a kind of wide ranging kind of set of experiences. So I thought it looked like a fantastic uh, graduate scheme and kind of really played to my passion as well. So um, yes, that's kind of what led me to to the NHS in the first place. And how did you sort of transition from there to managing women's health at a hospital? And what does that even mean, managing women's health? What What does that sort of involve? Yeah, good question, good question. Often, often one, um, it came up every day. I think <laughs> in many ways, it's it's like it's like managing, um, you know, any, anything. There's lots. It's, it's very um, multi-dimensional. It's about ensuring um, fantastic patient care. It's about supporting um, all um, all of the different staff who are delivering that care. Um, it's about good governance. Um, it's about um, the, the, the finances of the department, it's about looking for service improvements, it's about, um, you know, all the, all the different um, standards that you meet, need to meet, whether that's kind of waiting time standards. Um, there's, there's a huge kind of um, variety of, of different things that you've got to, um, talk, got to, got to do as, as, a, as a general manager or as a service manager in the NHS. It's, I think it's a, it's a really important job because it's about supporting those who are delivering um, that care to, 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 to all of us, to all of our families. Yeah. Do you feel like that role is sort of somewhat underappreciated by the wider world or misunderstood, so to speak, because it's not necessarily so visible on the front line, but it's a critical piece of the machine? Perhaps, but I, I think it depends who you talk to. And I, and I certainly, um, you know, I've worked with amazing um, clinicians, amazing um, you know, clinical directors, for example, that have been my, um, my kind of boss um, in a number of operational management roles. And um, I think when there's good management support um, that's really recognised and really appreciated. Um, but, you know, I, I guess not everyone is familiar with how the NHS works and um, 
it's uh, yes there's always kind of education there but certainly I've kind of have been fortunate enough I guess to, to work with people that that do actually really recognize the, the benefit and um, getting that support um, whether that's kind of with business, business cases or um, making service improvements it's about really working together across the whole multidisciplinary team. Yeah. I think the um the role of management now uh, as, as part of the pandemic, especially with the rollout of vaccines and testing and continuing, I think that that has become, has become much more in sharp focus about the value of having those roles in the system, because otherwise it's, it's all well and good if you have frontline staff. But obviously, when you're trying to do these things at scale, then it doesn't happen unless you have people actually operating or managing that stuff as well. Um, I would agree. I think it's about appreciating all of the different roles within the NHS. And when when everyone comes together, that's when things work best. And so how did you, um, what was the transition like from from that role into the Digital Health or Digital Health London? Um, And actually, maybe you could just, you know, explain a little bit about what that organisation does, which will be a nice segue into introducing Medulla. Um, because Pepe, I know, are, are on it or have been on it anyway. So, um, yeah. yeah, so so, so, how, what was that transition like? Um, fun. It was great. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that digital kind of throughout my NHS career has always been a thread. Um, I've always been um, involved with different initiatives to um, to improve services through the use of of digital, even in kind of my early career, I um, was involved in projects to, for example, um, clinic letters. So after you have an outpatient appointment, clinic letters used to be recorded on tapes and it'd be quite difficult to find kind of priority letters or to, um, you know, to kind of share out the workload across um, different teams. Um, And so I led a project to digitise that such that um, lots of different members of staff could support with um, typing letters and priority letters could be could be um, done when they needed to be. So there's lots of different things I've, I've been involved in, um, but it was probably when I uh, studied at London Business School for did my MBA there that I really got exposed to different industries and actually the benefits that digital had brought and um, and, and met a number of different startups in the digital health space and really saw how much that um, different kind of way of tackling problems that perhaps have been there for quite some time uh, can be um, can be achieved. And, and I got to work with a number of startups in, um, in one of my roles uh, within the NHS and really saw the benefits. Um, I also experienced quite a lot of the challenges of how you do work with a startup when you're within the NHS Um, and so kind of learn myself how to overcome those challenges and then I was you know thinking what do I want to do do I want to kind of work with a startup do I want to set one up myself Um, and then came across this opportunity to set up the Digital Health to London Accelerator and it just seemed like a fantastic way to supports the NHS and to support amazing businesses out there not just one but lots yeah, um, hundreds now is it uh, hundreds yeah hundreds I mean hundreds That's amazing at least through the accelerator and then we have another earlier stage program called the Launchpad. yeah there's a number of businesses so yes yeah, lots. That's, that is a lot 
Um, so, oh no, so what was I going to say? With the, with, the, with the Digital Health London piece, what, what are the kind of values that underpin that that you think are the sort of the themes of what you're trying to achieve with that? So, so Digital Health London is really about supporting the NHS to get digital. Okay. Across the board, like wherever yeah. it can be. Yeah, and um, we have a number of different programmes. The first one was our Accelerator programme, um, which I set up about five years ago now. And that's about supporting startups and scale-ups with amazing innovations that can help the NHS. But then there's also how do you support NHS staff with adopting digital solutions and finding those solutions and it's um, as I said before I experienced kind of some of those challenges myself um, and there is um, you know it's not necessarily an easy thing to do whether that's because of bandwidth or you know um, how to find out about these solutions or kind of how to navigate the decision making processes um, and how to do the implementation well so there's so there's that element of support that we give. And we've also done a lot in evidence generation related to, to digital health, because it's really important to evaluate um, the benefits um, and, and to know what good looks like when it comes to, you know, which SME you're going to work with. Um, so so those, are, those are some of the, the ways that we um, are supporting this drive um, to, to help the NHS to, to get digital. And I really feel that over the last five years, there's been not just because of the last nine months either, um, I've really seen um, a, a huge change even, even before um, this, this past year. We can dig into that a little bit more, but I want to introduce Medulla because you, Pepe, your company is currently on this year's cohort or is it previously? That's right. No, we're on the cohort this year. Talk with us, which is great. So um, what, before Pepe, you, I know you worked in consultancy and in pharma. So at what point did you know or believe that you wanted to make that leap into starting your own company? Yeah. So, I mean, mine is a sort of fairly standard South Asian immigrant story. My parents came here to work for the NHS. So, you know, I'd lived in, in in hospital campuses, both here and in, in, in India. So I was surrounded by this world of medics and, you know, uh, hospital care, but decided I wasn't going to do that, wasn't going to go to medical school, went and became an engineer, ended up doing my PhD in um, pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, processes in the US um, at uh, at MIT, which is, of course, a hotbed of innovation surrounded by, you know, and some amazing world-class okay. hospitals. So sort of biomedical innovation was sort of all around me then. Um, and then I came back to London, as you say, sort of spent some time in consulting, but actually then spent all my time doing healthcare work there. So I spent okay. about half of it working with the NHS, helping doing a lot of service redesign, making, trying to make regional health systems more financially, operationally uh, okay. sustainable, um, and about half of the time working with pharma companies uh, on various, a range of different things. Um, and then- so healthcare been, was kind of always a theme. Healthcare has always, always been there in the, in, you know, either in the background or, you know, sort of uh, tried to walk away from it, came back, kept coming back, kept coming back. Um, and then I was with Novartis Group for a number of years where I ran one of their business unit, but, you know, uh, and we used to launch generic pharmaceuticals into the UK, uh, into the UK market. So health, making healthcare more accessible and affordable has been sort of a, you know, a consistent thread for me. Um, uh, like Jenny, I have two young, uh, two young kids and uh, had experienced some of the challenges around, uh, around that myself and could start to see the digital health scene in London, you know, really emerging. That's probably about three or four, three or four years ago. 
Um, so, you know, for me, it felt like the right time in my career and in my life to sort of move into the world of startups. So I joined another startup to begin with, met my co-founders who, and, you know, the three of us regrouped pretty shortly thereafter to, to found Pepe. Okay. And so, so was it um, with Pepe, was the idea, so having spoken to quite a few people now on the show, you know, whether they're leaders or whether they start their own companies, you know, there's they're, they're sort of two groups. It seems to be people that have a personal epiphany around it and that because it's a direct personal experience or, or an indirect personal experience or is more of an analytical, we've analyzed things, we've mm. spotted an opportunity and we've sort of targeted that specifically. So what were you one of both or a bit of both? Um, a bit of both, but with three co-founders. So I think, you know, all of us came to Pepe from very different angles, which have all kind of enriched what we do. So um, for my co-founder, Max, it was very much that he just had his first uh, first child and had was really in the sort of midst of, you know, trying to figure out what's best for the health of his his family. Um, uh, for Evan, it's a, it's a personal passion for lifestyle, healthcare, and preventative health, and the role of you know things like nutrition and exercise, and um, and other ways of managing your health well before you get to the point of being sort of ill enough that you need medical medical care. And for me, it was you know sort of as I said, sort of having spent this time in healthcare, recognizing that it was it's obviously a sector ripe for disruption. And one thing that was missing is really this view of you know, patients as users rather than patients, especially in this sort of space where you're kind of not quite ill enough to be meet a clinical threshold for care, but you'd need a lot of health support. Like a lot of people's health journeys happen before they kind of show up at their GP's office. Yeah, well, there's and, yeah, there's yeah, there's quite a few people in and around try have tried to tackle that in different ways so i'm super interested to hear you you've done it because there are people like i don't know on the more kind of let's digitize the nhs 111 website like a babylon mm -hmm. type of approach mm -hmm. which is this giant decision tree and you you know you tootle away until eventually yeah. it, it ends up diagnosing you with something but yeah. but you you've, you've taken it in a different way yeah, we focus on very specific life episodes um, where people's physical, mental and emotional health you know, often goes through a change and it's highly disruptive for themselves, for their family and for their life at work. So we saw these three things really sort of coming together um, and over a period of time. So, uh, you know, again, from personal experience, we knew that sort of having a ch uh, baby is definitely does that. We'll do that to you. Um, uh, yeah, we, okay. You know, and then as we, sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. whether it's advice on sleeping, feeding, you know, recovery from from birth, uh, again, stuff that may not kind of you may not even be aware that it needs medical care or it may not need medical care or your doctor's told you you'll be fine. It'll get better, you know. And it might do, but there's lots of ways you can make yourself more comfortable or, you know, help that process along. So that's really sort of what Pepe focuses on is improving your quality of life, helping you find the right health support that you need um, and being there to kind of guide you on the health journey. But, you know, you're always the pilot. And I think this is, again, a fundamental shift um, in what we're doing. And how... Um we spoke to um, Kate Newhouse a few weeks back, who is, um, she's the COO of something called Cooth that are in the mental health space. And, and they said, she said exactly the same thing around, it's the person or it's the, the user that drives the experience. So how have you executed on that? So pick, you feel free to pick a particular yeah. subject and maybe sure. walk us through what a, a normal user might, might experience or, or, yeah. or see. 
So, so the way it works, Peppy works. Peppy's intended to be your companion through this journey. So let's take baby as uh, Peppy baby as an example. So you might sign up for Peppy um, either through an employer or through one of the other public sector funded projects that we're doing when you are um, in your later stages of pregnancy. Um, we our goal for that antenatal period is not to replicate anything your midwives are doing. They're still your sort of first point of clinical care, but we provide you with sort of education around things, whether it's sort of, you know, uh, breastfeeding, um, what to expect, uh, you know, preparing for coming home with your baby, which somehow everybody concentrates on the birth, but never about sort of what happens um, after that, all of those sorts of things. But it really kicks in after you come home from having delivered your baby, um, which is, and then it's, you have access to a range of different ways to communicate with some of our practitioners. So we work with people like board certified lactation consultants, NCT practitioners. And you can speak to directly to them if you want to. Yes. So you have a chat channel that's opened up with your primary practitioner, and that'll typically be a IBCLC or an NCT practitioner. So somebody who can address a lot of the broad spectrum questions that are relevant to, you know, sort of those things with a... early days with a baby, answer any questions around sort of feeding, but then also signpost you into a lot of other activities that are available. Uh, lots of different ways in which you can um, interact with practitioners. So that could be a live session focusing on, okay. you know, pelvic health or, you know, urinary incontinence, what's normal, your relationship after a baby, yeah. um, you know, all these kinds of topics, um, how to spot signs of, you know, um, problem signs around mental health, either in yourself or in your partner, which partners might be invited to. So topics like that. Um, or if you need to, you can also book a one-to-one phone or video consultation around feeding or sleep, which are often so, the hot topics. Is it very much that someone can say, I, I have this concern today, and then they, it, it, it's not sort of, um, what am I trying to say? It's not really boxes. It's almost like free text. I, someone exactly. can say, I have this issue. Would someone mind talking to me about this, please? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And your team of practitioners are there and they'll respond to you within today. And you can do that, you know, well, maybe you've got your toddler on, on one's hand or you're taking, you know, just drop them off to nursery on your way back. Or, you know, you, you've got, you've just managed to get your baby down for a nap without having to have it without having to, you know, make the effort to go down to a drop-in clinic, which of course not all of them are running right now. And, um, or to, you know, make a phone call during specific times and so on. It's, it's available to you. What other areas of life, you mentioned Hmm. birth, pre and post birth, what other areas have you sort of focused on or seen a lot of pickup or, or, or sort of demand for? Yeah, I mean, we've we started off with women's health. We see ourselves as a family healthcare, but women's health is so underserved that it's sort of been an obvious area for us to start. Um, so we've started off with birth and baby. Um, we've done uh, we have a very active service in menopause, so we support uh, women who are going through their menopausal journey, whether they're sort of perimenopausal or postmenopausal, um, and that's led by Kathy Abernethy, who's the former chair of the British Menopause Society. And then we have recently launched a fertility service, which is to support anyone who's trying to conceive, whether unassisted or making decisions around fertility treatment. And again, the the concept is the same. It's sort of independent, safe space for you to get advice, information, education, um, again, so you can make the right choices for you and your family. Would you you agree that women's health has sort of been chronically underserved in certain ways because that's definitely a phrase that i've heard quite a bit over the last few weeks from different guests would you would you concur with that yeah i mean i certainly think there's just a huge opportunity to make improvements um in the space and it is definitely a part of healthcare that's sort of ripe for for innovation um that's why it's 
you know, fantastic to have companies like Pepe on the Digital Health to London Accelerator at the moment. I think we, you know, we also know that femtech as an industry, um, you know, has, has got a huge business potential as well. Uh, there, um, you know, been lots of different reports um, that kind of indicate that, you know, say by twenty twenty seven, it could be a, you know, sixty. Um, billion dollar industry so I think there's it's that combination of kind of need with business opportunity um, that's uh, that, that's coming together and kind of really has 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 made this particular area um, has given a lot of visibility and um, I'm sure it will go on to um, to, to grow uh, over the years to come yeah I, I totally agree so with with Pepe, with with if Pepe wasn't doing what you're doing, or for the people that aren't using Pepe for mm. these areas of their life, what, what are their pathways like in comparison to if they were to have access to Pepe? Mm. Yeah. So I mean, let's take menopause as an example. I mean, a lot of women, first of all, you know, will often ask their mothers or their sisters or their friends in the first instance because they don't necessarily see this as as a medical issue. Or you know, what was it like for you? or you know how old are you that sort of thing um google um at some point they will go to their gp but often we find people are sometimes embarrassed about talking about some of the aspects of menopause with their gp and feel like they don't have enough time to do that um not that they're worried do they they don't want to quote bother them so to speak And and they're busy, you know, women in their 40s and 50s, which is the primary cohort of menopausal women, they're busy, they, you know, they're working, they have young, maybe have young families to look after, they may have older family members that they're looking after, you know, it takes a while for them to actually get kind of, for this to be urgent and important enough for them to have that appointment in the first instance. Um, then often, you know, I think there is still quite a sort of uh, a mixed opinion out there about HRT um, uh, and whether, you know, who that's suitable for and who that's not. So they may get may be told that they know it's not right for them or they don't know anything about it or they've read things in the newspapers about breast cancer risk. And when the doctor mentions to it, they, you know, they sort of freak out and go, oh, I don't really want to do that. Um, if they're experiencing some of the mental health symptoms of menopause, they may be, again, offered antidepressants, which they might sort of say, oh, I don't don't know about that, Quite don't want hard. to do it, or, you know, so, um, and so they often find themselves bouncing around uh, related to their, man- how to manage their symptoms, um, sometimes without necessarily identifying it as menopause, and when they eventually do, then not really being clear on what to do with it, and not necessarily having the time to discuss the menopause in their entirety with their GP. And it really depends. You know, GPs have a very wide spectrum of caseload to deal with. They may not have that much expertise or knowledge about menopause specifically, or they might. You might get lucky and have a GP who's particularly interested in women's health and has a deep interest in menopause but it, it can be quite a postcode lottery i can i can well imagine and so if they were to come to peppy how would that mm-hmm. be different so again you can sign up for uh for peppy menopause is primarily available through employers so we work with a range of employers from um santander novartis um uh, aviva and so on and so they Wait, can um, get sorry that presume does that mean presumably it's free it's to the free person? It's yes free to the that's person. that's how always how peppy has operated so far it's free to the point of use it's uh, it's free and it's anonymous to your employer if that's how you're getting it. 
which is a really important uh, important part of how we how we operate. So again, you can download the app and you'll be put onto again you have chat access to a menopause practitioner and we'll drip feed you content um, and information relevant to different aspects of menopause. So you can learn about about you know whether that's nutrition during the menopause, HRT, you know, myths busting or whatever that might be. Um, again, you have access to a counsellor if you want to discuss your mental well-being. And again, a similar sort of sessions where, where, you know, if you have a partner that they can be invited to, to learn about as well, because it can often be very disruptive for other members of the family too. Yeah, and confusing, presumably. And confu- very confusing, yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, that, that sounds quite sort of like a, a major step forward. By the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, we get we get some. I mean, some of the stories we hear have been incredible. People really feeling like their their lives have changed. We had um, one particular lady from one of our employers who said, you know, her sixteen year old daughter said, "Look, I've got my mum back." You oh, know, wow. it has been that's amazing, which is incredible that's because a great, that's a great story. Yeah, and and this wasn't necessarily somebody who would you know require you know, psychiatric care or any kind of like medicalized care in that sense. So it's sort of like below the level of anything diagnosable or treatable through a traditional clinical pathway, but that could, that level actually could still include quite a lot of issues or problems or difficult, exactly difficult symptoms. Yeah. Although I do do think it's important to mention that what we, one of the things that principles of PEPI is that we want to work alongside existing medical systems okay. whether that's the nhs whether that's a private medical insurance that you've got access to through your employer with des- you know pepe is designed to be able to triage you into that so if at yeah, any so point yeah so let's that, talk about that because that came up when we talked to, to kate from cooth about at mm. what point do you then have to triage people up through the system yeah it's very very important and this is why we only work with sort of qualified um you know healthcare professionals you know they're not sort of generalist coaches um they are trained to recognize what are sort of the warning signs of something more you know fundamental that could be underlying and we signpost people whether that's to back to their gp whether for baby whether it's their midwifery or health visiting team or an iapt service helping them find their local self-referral iapt service or if they do have access to private medical insurance you know knowing what services are available or an employee assistance program yeah risk um, so what was very really interesting was that where Kate was basically saying that that within their view, which is mental health, so it's different to what it's like. Well, I mean, yours contains an element of mental health, so it's all sort yeah. of within the same space to an extent. But their their main view, which I don't know whether you agree with, is that that that, that they by offering a service digitally, you increase access to that service, but you don't increase risk because the risk is there anyway. So actually by offering the service, you actually reduce the chance of poor outcomes. But but a misperception of digital delivery of services is that it increases risk. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I, I agree with that. And we actually did. So we were one of the awardees of Tech Force 19, which is a cross departmental oh, wow. okay. initiative to support um, vulnerable um, populations in the community. And we actually asked. So we rolled out the Peppy Baby service to a thousand new parents across England in May of last year. And we asked them, you know, how did Peppy impact their health-seeking behaviors, essentially. So we asked them, did Peppy help nudge you to you know, seek um, support from statutory services either sooner than you would have because you maybe weren't sure where to go for help or you might have been reluctant? And the answer was yes, right. and across a range of services. Did, and we also asked the question, did Peppy help you um, avoid some of those episodes because you're able to get the information that you needed? And the answer was also yes. 
So we see us our role as being, you know, sort of risk strapped. I think we see real potential to be risk stratifying. Yeah. But uh, again, you know, people often in the episodes that we work with don't seek help either because, as you say, they don't want to bother their GP. They don't know whether to, you know, whether to go or they don't know if it's sort of all in their head sometimes as well, which is something yeah. that comes up quite a lot. Well, one of the things that we we've we come across, we came across one of the reasons why we started PopDoc, which was to allow people to give themselves blood tests at home to screen for things that can be screened for using a finger prick of blood. You don't have to have a venous blood sample. You don't have to go mm. to the doctors. It just happens to be that that is the clinical pathway currently. And the reason why we started that was because there were a huge number of people that said, on the one hand, well, I'd love to have more information about my health. But the idea of me taking a half day off to go to the GP to do something that is not critically urgent now, but could be critically urgent in the future if you don't do something about it, it's just not really practical. So that's why we sort of tried to, to deliver our services is to sort of exactly provide that type of thing for people that want some information or want to do something about it, but their life circumstances may just, for no bad reason, just prevent them from doing so. Yeah. And, and as you said, like that doesn't change that person's underlying level of risk. If anything, it reduces it. Exactly. Because they have a bit, an easier pathway to transition. So in that study, I saw that you actually had, um, you were able within that, that Tech Force 19, didn't you have an over index of black and minority ethnic yeah. women in that study? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So um, we actually, I mean, we had a flood of applications. We had ten thousand people apply for a thousand slots for that 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 piece of work. So we um, we did over index. We took double the national um, average of um, black new parents, Asian, and any any other. Um, minority ethnic um, parents and we saw something really interesting and that's that's what's led to the black mums matter Two campaign um because under you know we have in the uk a big problem with um racial inequalities in maternal health so black mothers have five times the rate of maternal mortality of white mothers and asian mothers have twice the rate which is you know i mean there's it's lots of factors that go into that but that is fundamentally an unacceptable inequality and of something that has happened you know this is pre-covid now on top of that you take the fact that black um and asian and other um, i think minorities do have higher risk of covid morbidity or more severe um uh, you know some have a predilection for more severe covid um covid symptoms and what we found with our first wave of tech force, and this was before some of this data had come out, was that actually when we uh, worked with those parents, they engaged with Pepe just as much as um, as the white majority of users did. Some slightly different patterns of behavior, but that's definitely got interest from a lot of the maternity units or people who are working in maternity services, because historically these uh, engagement with services has been an issue. Uh, has been one of the contributing factors. Secondly, we found that they rated Pepe higher um, than average. And, and obviously we don't know sort of, fu- we haven't fully unraveled what, what some of the underlying reasons for that are, but there is work sort of being scoped out now to start to do that. But basically we think that, you know, the digital has a potential to allow this ease of access in a way that is, you know, sort of maybe more neutral, might feel more anonymous, although obviously we have to have appropriate safeguarding measures in there and safety measures in there. But that just enables people to access health in a different way that might be more, you know, 
it makes it more democratic and makes it more accessible to more groups of people. Yes, so I, I would agree. And I know that health equality and equal access is important for both of you. And so I just want to go back to, so I, I read the, one of the reasons, so I know Mridula, you weren't actually scheduled to come on the show, but the, the story was that um, I, you, your, your, your PR department, who are fantastic, sent me the press release, or sent us the press yeah. release for Black, Black, um, Black Lives, Black Mums Matter Too um, last week. And I read it and I, I, I'm going to repeat two of the statistics that were just completely sobering to me. So I thought we, we've got to try and find a way to get you on the show. And one is, as you mentioned, that black women are four or five times, four or five times more likely to die during pregnancy, childbirth or post-birth than white women. And the second is that black women are twice as likely to experience a stillbirth than white women, which I mean, I thought was just unbelievably sobering that that, that, that is, is the case in this day and age. And um, I wanted to understand, first of all, what do you think or what do we know you know are the reasons for that that disparity first of all well i think it's it's quite complex and i don't think anybody really knows fully what it is i mean obviously there um you know we've seen data that has sort of ex extracted out if impact of socioeconomic circumstances the the inequality still persists we know that um, there are differences in health-seeking behaviours, sometimes because of sort of people's cultural backgrounds on um, antenatal care, which accounts for some of it, but not all of it. Um, you know, there is a sort of a perception of how people uh, are either are treated or expect to be treated that can affect that health-seeking behaviour. Um, there, there's a whole host of things what in there. What does expect to be treated mean? What does that mean? The question, so the question is whether, you know, if you... Uh, you know, if you expect to be heard and okay. take your problems taken seriously and responded to, your health-seeking behaviour is different when, you, you know, in choosing to either go to sort of your health visitor drop-in clinic or pick up the phone, then if you, if you either expect based on your personal experience or through other people's second-hand experience, that actually they're not going to listen to me. Right, so why, why call in the first why place? Call why call in the first there? place? So there's there's a whole host of things. It's not a simple issue to address. But and you know, I'm not we're not claiming that Pepe can address all of it. What we know is that um, our black parents from Tech Force One liked the service. They found it very useful. Um, and right now we're in a situation where this is a cohort who are who you know are going to be facing quite some considerable challenges on top of some underlying challenges that they face. So we want to basically go out there and make it available to them. And the National Lottery Community Fund, through their COVID response fund, has enabled us to do that through some funding they've provided. So we are going to be making Peppy Baby available to 200 um, mums who either identify as black or of African descent. Um, and again, free at point, free for them um, to uh, just, you know, help them during the, what's been quite a difficult winter. Okay. And is there anything, what happens, because I imagine that it will be oversubscribed and it will deliver an extremely successful outcomes and so on. So what, what are you doing this because you have a sort of a greater vision after this or is, yeah. So what, what does that kind of look like? Well, we, so what, they will get is they will get peppy support as any of our other peppy members for three months and we'll be catering you know we we are working with some of our advisors and so on to make sure that the content that they get will cater to their their needs specifically um why are we doing this well we set off you know partly the issue with peppy is as i said the average experience as i mentioned is people sort of bouncing around maybe getting help from friends and family anecdotal googling etc it doesn't matter whether it's menopause baby or 
There is one end of that spectrum, which is, you know, you go to Harley Street and you pay out of pocket and you have them, you know, your maternity nurse or a private lactation come yeah. to your house. That's not yeah. available for them. That's not affordable or available for the majority of people. Partly with, you know, we realize with Pepe, there is a premium service out there, but it's only available to a tiny slither of society. We wanted to tech to enable a solution that made it much more accessible to the vast majority of society. Presumably, because you did you always have the intention that it would be free, which took you off to the pathway of working with employers, insurers and healthcare services, because if it has to be someone has to pay for it in some way, shape or form. So that then dictates slightly how you deliver that service or who you ultimately partner with. Exactly. And, you know, for us, COVID has unlocked other streams of funding whereby we can make the service accessible to, you know, people who may or may not be able to access it through our employer clients. So that has been. Uh, great. So we want to design this, you know, the service to be as accessible and relevant to as broad a spectrum of society as possible. Um, we actually have also set up a community interest company that allows us to run these projects on a not-for-profit basis. So that's how Black Mums Matter too is going to be um, is being run. And we're working with some some great people who are backing backing the project. So Mars Lord, who is a campaigner in this space, and also Abdullah. Um, the five times more team, um, Eddie Morris, who is the chair of the Royal College of Ops and Gyne, um, and Dr. Karen Joash uh, as well. So Jenny, I want to bring you in here as well, because I know that DigitalHealth.London are a big supporter of this campaign. And how is how, how common or how usual is this type of thing um, an example of why it matters to get companies like Pepe onto the Digital Health Accelerator? Why is it, is this an example of what you do and why you do why what you do is valuable? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're hugely supportive of the campaign. I mean, I think the stats are absolutely shocking. Um, and it's, it's interesting, actually, when you look outside the UK, say to the US, um, if you take New York City, I think the stats are even worse. Um, the, the kind of mortality rate of, of black mums can be up to 12 times as as high um so yes and it, it actually it makes us feel you know extremely proud to be able to support a company um that's doing such great work i, I guess um i would also say that you know we we support a huge range of, of different companies that address different all sorts of different um uh, health conditions. Um, we actually, on, on this current cohort, um, have a company um, that uh, addresses um, men's health too. Yep. Um, and yeah, Max, Max from Regimen. He's coming on next week. Oh, is he? Oh, maybe. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about erectile dysfunction next week. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. But it's important. I think there, you know, there are a lot, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of. There's a lot, a real need, isn't there, to kind of raise awareness. Um, yeah, just talk about these issues. Yeah, yeah, kind of um, address address the taboos. But it's, you know, it's it's hugely broad. And I think that, um, you know, the access piece is is key. And, and digital health, it kind of, it switches up the geographies of health, you know. And, and in many ways, it, it presents huge opportunities like this does. And we know at the same time, it, it can also... Um, produce more inequality so it's being really mindful of the way that digital health is is changing the health landscape and will go on to Um, and it's it's about kind of really supporting 
where there's positive opportunity and, and, and really recognizing actually some of, some of the risks as well. Yeah, so I think you may have seen a copy of my notes because that was like oh, my really? next question. Yeah, that was my next question, which is, it was. It, I don't know if you've noticed, seen in the news today over the last couple of days, there's been a big, what, what with all of the children, everyone, everyone's kids being homeschooled, um, mm. the, the, the widening inequality between children that have access to um, technology that means they can have their lessons versus children that don't. And the government's obviously mm. trying to fill the gap and things like that, but it relates to a point that you've just mentioned. And this was something that got thrown at us um, you know, over the time that we've been doing the company, I don't know if it's the same for you, Medulla, but but certainly Jenny, where it's um, that people are concerned that by delivering a digital service, it will only be accessed or, or will be um, more sort of um, it will swing towards people who have digital devices, which therefore self-selects for people that have enough money to have those digital devices who are more educated about accessing digital services and so on. So it entrenches that um, inequality what, what do you think Jenny because obviously you're I think you're in a really good position to, to comment on that I, I'm playing devil's advocate because obviously I'm yeah, and I, I think I think the good thing though is that there is real awareness and so when it comes to the NHS you know working say with with, with digital health companies like yourselves is that is I would say that there is a real kind of thought that goes into that. Yes, and clinicians right. do recognise, um, you know, the, 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 the challenges. When you introduce something new, it's not necessarily all positive. You have no. to kind of think ahead, don't you? Yeah. Um, and think, well, what mitigation can you put in place? Yeah. Uh, or actually, if you bring in this, this kind of benefit, does it mean you can support... Uh, other patients more or in different ways i think it's i think the key is you know it would be wrong not to move forward and not to embrace these things but you just have to do it really thoughtfully and um you know and that's why i get quite excited when i i find out about different ways that um you know regions or governments have thought about kind of how do they put Mm. um how do they address this whether that's about um making data available or devices and kind of piloting different Mm. different things such that um you know those issues are reduced it might be um training uh, for people who um, actually have a long-term condition actually would really benefit from having certain tech but they need that support up front but once you've given that support then actually um you know they can go on and and, and manage their their own health care better and, and feel empowered but you've just got to think um and, and not i guess assume yeah you've got to yeah think think it through think the pathway through um to ensure you kind of rule out as many of those unintended consequences as possible um but not stand in the way of progress um Rudula, have you what, what's your view from from Pepe's yeah, perspective I, about I that issue i mean the digital divide is it's not just a health issue right it's the same in terms of finance access to financial services it's you know getting increasingly more expensive to walk into a shop and buy something with cash than it is to buy it online um but um, I think it's a it's a very fair challenge because it's not just access to a digital device. It's, you know, how much people can afford to spend on data, which is becoming an issue now for homeschooling. And it can be a, something as fundamental as literacy, you know, but also tech can. So it's I agree. It's absolutely about and we're actually just working on scoping out a project to see how can we sort of mitigate it from our product design perspective as many of those aspects as possible. But tech also enables 
you to overcome some of those barriers, whether that's auto translation, whether it's doing things in audio and video rather than, an, you know, text based, you know, pamphlets yeah. with multiple translations. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, pros and cons. I think we have to do it with a with an eye on recognizing the limitations and not be blind to that. Um, but ultimately, I think there's a net benefit. Um, so, you know, from my point of view, as, as you, Steve, a health tech entrepreneur, you know, I see it as a sort of duty to kind of drive that forward to yeah. the best of the ability. And yeah. yeah, I think we would think the same thing. And it's more around how do you do that in a responsible way? Because um, the, the, the aim, you know, and I'm sure it's the same for all of us, is that we'd like to deliver the, the, the highest quality of care to the, to the greatest number of people. So it's certainly no one's looking to try and exclude anyone. Um, so it's about how do you try and address those issues to avoid a situation where someone is unintentionally unable to access that service by some quirk of a postcode or some quirk of a, an economic situation, as opposed to a personal choice to not want to access that. Exactly. Um, okay, so with Pepe, where are you going to go from here? Do you think is it more areas of health, or is it do, like let's say, for example, to your point a second ago, is it adding more language capabilities so that you can address more communities for the same conditions, or how how do you see it evolving? Yeah, I mean, for us, I think there is still a lot of. Re- I mean, obviously, we've only just got started. We're two years old as a as an organization, there's a lot of space to work, still expand within what we're working on, which is baby um, uh, fertility and, and menopause, um, both within our employer space and, and with other, uh, whether that's insurers and other um, other ways of, of supporting the system. There's, there's a lot of work to continue to do on our product. As, we're, as I said, we're sort of doing some of the scoping out of projects um, to de- develop that. Um, but, you know, the more we talk to people, the more we hear of other sort of life stages where yeah. they have felt uh, either a bit lost or, you know, struggle to manage their health or, or that of a family member. Um, so that is something we're actively ex- always exploring and keeping our eyes and ears uh, open, open for as well. And what, with regards to the, the Black Moms Matter 2 mm. campaign, is there anything that you need, you want people to do or what, what can people do to become involved yeah. or to support or to apply or what's, yeah. what's what, spread, how that work? Please spread the word. Um, there is a link, uh, Steve, if we can, if we could share yeah, that with you to go on the website, that, that would be, that would be amazing where you can sign up. Um, there are just a couple of weeks um, for the sign up. I know we've had some, uh, several coming through already. We only started the campaign yesterday. Um, so if that's you, if you are in your last trimester of pregnancy or have a baby that's less than three months old um, and you either identify as black or of African descent, you know, we're here for you. So do sign up. Otherwise, please spread the word um, amongst your communities or, you know, your friends and family uh, as uh, as to around this issue. We want this to be, you know, this is it's partly we're here to support those mums who are being affected today, um, but also to raise awareness of, of this issue as well. With the, with the content that's provided, to, do, do you do you adjust the content or the actual engagement based on the the, the, the ethnic background of the person that's engaging with Pepe, or what, how do you deal with that? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, we want to make sure that the content is relevant and here we'll have a cohort of people for whom we can put on, you know, whether it's a particular speaker or, you know, and that's something that we also see actively seek input from our users from. But, you know, 
black mums is a pretty broad spectrum of people from, you know, who they could obviously lots of different countries, lots of different languages, lots of different religious backgrounds included, included within that. So, you know, we do not presume to know anything beyond, uh, beyond, you know, what you choose to tell us. Um, but yes, we will be, uh, you know, actively looking at having maybe some presenters who are themselves have, have been um, gone through the experience of, of motherhood as black women um, as and uh, yeah, you know, Mars, and Mars, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Jenny, with, with the Digital Health London Accelerator, what is the, or the Digital Health, Digital Health London, what does the, is it continuing to do more of the same because of what you're doing is already delivering so much value or do you have any kind of major projects of, of, that you personally want to kind of launch anything new what's what's what does the future sort of hold well i think it's you know it's a really exciting time um i've certainly felt kind of over the last few months i've had a lot of kind of colleagues get in touch and say wow you know health tech space it's so, it's so <laughs> um oh that's um, what you do oh cool yeah, no, i understand <laughs> oh wow you were thinking oh, ahead there weren't you digital um, health yes <laughs> so i think it's you know it's um it's an exciting time i think that we um you know we're we're, we're very kind of passionate about the a lot of the well the two big programs we run the accelerator and the pioneer fellowship but, but I guess it's, it's really about kind of making that next step, which is how do we help the NHS to get digital, really focusing on supporting those, those NHS um, kind of staff members that perhaps have really experienced the benefits over the last nine months and actually want okay. to do things. Um, get the converts. Basically, yeah. is that what you Yeah, mean? well, I mean, that's always what we've done. It's kind of, you know, yeah. how do you find the champions? How do you find those pioneers, those early adopters? And how do you nurture them? And how do you support them and be really responsive? Because um, they're the ones, you know, that are brave, that want to make the change and want to engage with amazing companies like yourself. And um, and I think it's about the fact there's going to be more of those people. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of the changes that have been made have been fantastic, but we have to be made really quickly and, and maybe not as deeply. Um, so if you think about kind of pathway transformation, um, you might be replacing something that was physical with, um, you know, a video consultation, for example, but not really deeply at a pathway you could take the maternity pathway okay um, for example and actually thinking well you know um could we design this differently or better knowing right. that we know if all these different digital tools if you think about um your business steve you know if you if you've got that those things there, and actually do you need certain appointments yeah um, can you empower patients more so i think that's the the next bit that's really exciting is that kind of real deep um kind of fundamental change and we want to support that through those two programs but also do a bit more an evidence generation so I said earlier we were involved yeah you talked about that explain a bit about what you mean because i'm not sure all the listeners are necessarily going to sure. immediately understand exactly why that's so important and, and your role in it yeah so i think that it's really important because there are you know there's a there's a lot of solutions out there and when it comes to making a decision about what solution you're going to adopt. It's, you want to know that uh, a digital health business meets certain standards um, and 
those standards need to be there. And we were we worked with NICE and MedCity and other colleagues back in 2018 to, to formulate those standards. And we now help um, companies like yourselves and the accelerator um, to, to meet those. So the kind of how do you do it? But then there's also the piece about kind of well, do 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 staff within the NHS know about mm. standards? And um, and how do we help with that kind of education and awareness right. such that they're asking the right questions? Maybe they can make okay. decisions about which innovations they work with, what which ones they don't. So, um, no, go on, sorry. Informing um, the adoption uh, and kind of speeding things up. And is part of that, like sort of like you said, trying to get everybody on the same page about the metrics of success. That that you know, so that if if a, if company A does something and it performs in this way, generally speaking, we can all be assured that we understand that that was a success or it was not a success within the system. So it's easy to kind of compare like for like. Is it partly that, or is is that not really? The yeah, case? I think in terms of the evidence standards um, that have been released so far, there there's an element. I'm guessing you're getting at the kind of economic part to it, but I think there's even there's even more. To, to do there on the benefits realization piece, both in terms of kind of how you do that well and ensure it takes place. Yeah. Um, but actually when, you know, sometimes we see that startups may engage with NHS and be so kind of excited to do something that they perhaps don't think upfront what those metrics should be and really yeah. kind of push for that discussion and get that baseline data so that when the pilot's done or, or they've been working with that organisation for a year or so, they can then go and work somewhere else because they've got this great evidence um, of how much money it saves, of how patient care has been improved. Um, and, and that's what I think really key to scaling because you can, you know, scale... Um, through you know a lot of shoe level, but actually, what really matters is 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 the evidence, and, and I think that's the uh, an important um, area for us to continue to support on. Yeah. Well, that I think that's a good point to kind of wrap it up on. So, both of you, thank you very much for your time. It was great having you both on the show. First time to have two people, so thank you very much for that. And I thought it was an incredible discussion. Um, you know, and so, yeah. So, just thank you very much for taking part. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting us, Steve. No worries. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Bye. It's like strawberries on a summer evening. And it sounds just like a song. I want more berries and that summer feeling. It's so wonderful and warm.